BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We time meets me time, where magic meets the sea on a Disney cruise. Adults can relax and enjoy dedicated spaces designed just for them. Indulge in a massage at Census Spa or take a dip in Quiet Cove, an adult-exclusive pool. Don't worry. The kids are having some me time of their own at incredible kids' clubs. And there's amazing we time, like entertainment, imaginative dining, character encounters, and more around every corner. A magical vacation at sea awaits on Disney Cruise Line. Acceptance is the way to transcendence. In this podcast, Eckhart answers a variety of questions. A woman asks about identity at the soul level. She asks, do we in our most transcendent form retain some aspect of individuality, even though we all emanate from the one universal consciousness? Another woman shares a story of her granddaughter who has a life-threatening illness. She requests a few moments of presence with Eckhart to bring her joy. A wife shares heartbreaking details about her husband who's dying of cancer. She questions if it's possible to remain conscious with compassion and care. Eckhart explains that even though it may seem strange, being in the presence of death is actually an opportunity. He says we learn to suffer consciously and surrender completely. Eckhart says that even in the midst of life's most painful challenges, acceptance is the way to transcendence. Um, thank you for taking my question. It's about my husband. He's severely ill uh, with brain cancer, and I'm struggling to stay conscious because of all the needs around me, and we are struggling with the communication. Uh, so I spend a lot of day the day guessing what he's saying and trying to meet his needs and I feel like I'm almost getting more and more unconscious perhaps because I'm tired I get very little um, time by myself which I need it's also a lot of grief because we have been married for 36 years he's my best friend and I'm losing him and he's losing himself every day Yes. Well, thank you. On a practical level, that's a secondary, of course, but let's start with that. Um, I don't know if it's possible for you to get some help so that you don't have to do, do it all by yourself, so that you have some little bit of time left that would be a desirable thing to do to try and get some help for some of the time at least. But that's, uh, that's secondary, what you can do. That's, that's off. There's something one can do on a practical level that can be helpful, but that's not the, not the ultimate answer, of course. It's still, the suffering is still there. And it is very painful to see that this human being seems to gradually be disappearing. A similar thing, by the way, can happen if somebody suffers from Alzheimer, a similar thing happens. The person that you knew, 
suddenly seems to go away. It's, it is very painful to witness that uh, unless you can to totally surrender and begin to understand what is happening to some extent. The, the way I see it is that uh, the consciousness that uh, this human being is can no longer express, can no longer manifest through this brain because the, the brain is damaged. So the, the consciousness, which is the essence, which is not the physical, the consciousness is not physical. The consciousness can no longer use the brain to and express itself through that. So it has it is a slow process, what is normally called death. It's a slower death. It's a slow process of withdrawing because it doesn't work anymore. It's like if a computer, a little analogy, if a computer becomes defective because it's something happened to it, it can it no longer works well. It gets harder and harder to download something, let's say, you can download things from the cloud into your computer. There's a cloud where data is kept. And then at some point, the, the, the what which you download is hardly recognizable anymore because there's something wrong with the computer. But everything is actually still there, but it can no longer express itself through this form because the form has become the form is dying, it's beginning to dissolve. In this case, the, the brain is dying before the body dies. Mm -hmm. So the, it's, if you can see that it's a withdrawing, the, 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 uh, rather than the, the essence of that, that human being withdraws from this dimension. It's a slow death that you witness. And the only answer is, you recognize this process and the death will come to, for most people, the death comes in a different way. The, for most people, the, the brain and the rest of the body simultaneously come to an end when you die. But for some people, the brain begins to go first and then it, the body then follows and then finally death happens. So it is an opportunity. It, it sounds very strange when I say opportunity to, to witness, to be in the presence of death, because it is a long, long death. And your practice needs to be one of complete surrender, complete surrender every moment. And, and there's an expression that is very helpful, I believe, from, in spirituality. I don't know who first used it, Maybe, maybe it was me or somebody else, it's all the same anyway. Conscious suffering, conscious suffering. When you, you suffer, when it is almost inevitable that when you witness what is happening to your husband, that you suffer. And then there's the possibility, instead of feeling and I have to go beyond this suffering, stay with the suffering, but suffer consciously, accept the suffering completely. As if the suffering were something that's completely, if you accept the suffering completely, it actually burns up your ego very rapidly. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Every day, our world gets a little more connected but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. One of the most powerful practices is to suffer consciously, not to say you're unhappy, you're, it's, it's so hard to suffer consciously is to completely accept that this is, this is what it is. In that suffering consciously, there's no longer any, anything saying in your mind that this should be different. You're completely uh, accepting the suffering. In that, the the ego cannot survive in that state in you. So you would, the ego will die, you will die with your husband, so to speak, but in you, the, the ego will die. And then the, through conscious suffering, it's a very powerful process of uh, transcending the ego. In Christianity, not so much these days anymore because most of Christianity these days has also become very superficial if it still has meaning at all. But in medieval times and before, there was an identification with the archetype of self, you know the word archetype, there was an identification with the archetype of suffering, which is Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross is the human archetype, stands for all humans and stands and represents all suffering. Jesus on the cross is, is the archetypal human, and it shows the way of suffering and the way of rebirth also. But humans in medieval times and so on who identified completely with Jesus, it's also spoken about, by the way, in St. Paul and so on in the New Testament, you identify with Jesus and your suffering is the suffering of Jesus. Your and Jesus' suffering become one. It's voluntary, voluntarily you're undergoing the same suffering as Jesus. And then can, this can actually work beautifully for, I'm not saying that in your, your case, you may not need that, but it helped people in the past, maybe it still helps some people these days, it helped people in the past to suffer consciously 
by going, this is the same, the death that you die is the same death that Jesus died. You, you and Jesus become kind of one in that death. And then through that surrender to suffering, as shown visually in the figure on the cross, the surrender to suffering, that leads to the to death, and then it leads to resurrection. It's all archetypal wisdom expressed there. So that's that's only an example of how in the past it helped people. There's still some some lovely books. I don't know whether Christianity is meaningful to you, but you can actually see what I'm talking about the significance of that you can be you don't have to be a christian to see how this works what i'm just describing how the the archetypal image can work for certain people and even if you're not a christian you could you you could have look at the cross and and suddenly understand it on a deeper level without being a conventional christian and suddenly see this that is the past for humans is suffering and then the transcendence of suffering, but the transcendence of suffering does not come until suffering is totally accepted. The suffering that is, you cannot help it. There's nothing, you can't escape this, the suffering. You have to go into it. There are other types of suffering that are self-generated by the human mind. There are other types of suffering that are self-generated by dysfunctional reactions to people and situations. Those are types of suffering that they are different. You need to recognize that you yourself create dysfunctional reactions. You create reactivity. You amplify challenges so that they become huge problems. So a lot of suffering is through dysfunctional use of the mind, and that has to be tackled and recognized there. Then there is deeper suffering, such as in your situation. And when this deeper suffering comes, that's where you suffer consciously. So there's no longer any resistance. And so the, the deeper suffering is the, that can transform you it, is, it can become an opening, an opening into transcendence. So those, the deeper suffering is the situation that you are in now. Similar situations might be somebody who lost. I'm, I recently, I met somebody who lost his wife and two children in an accident, all gone all at once. Deep, deep suffering. Now there you cannot say, Okay, there's yeah, there's a dysfunction in your mind. You just have to, even to, you just have to accept that what is. If you cannot accept what is because it's too hard to accept what is, you accept your suffering. So that's very very powerful when it when it arises in your life. To some of you that may never come such deep. You may die before that deep suffering comes. But so there are other ways of awakening also, of course. So. Conscious suffering. There's a lovely uh, book uh, talking about medieval Christianity and so on, written in medieval times, a book of Christian spirituality. It's called The Imitation of Christ, written by Thomas R. Kempis, who was a monk. Well, in those times, 
those were the only people who could read and write, so they were all monks or nuns. The, the Imitation of Christ by Thomas R. Kempis, it is very deep, it's medieval Christian spirituality, so to some extent you have to look beyond the form, but there's a very powerful imitation of Christ, you, be, you, imit, you become one with Christ. Thomas Archimedes goes back, I think it was written in the 13th century or so. Make sure you get a good translation, not the more recent translations, get an older translation, uh, because there are quite a few more recent than that uh, are not very deep. It's just an, something came to me. It's one of my favorite books. So when deep suffering comes, suffering that is not produced by a dysfunction in the egoic mind, but comes from deeper place, then conscious suffering is the answer. So until you, you reach a point where you even welcome that, it seems impossible, but where you even welcome it, you burn, your ego burns up in this through conscious suffering. Your ego gets consumed in that and what's left is then you, beyond ego, the transcendent being. That is the opportunity if you're able to use it. I hope this makes sense to you. It, it, you have to, every moment needs to be a surrendered moment. There's no longer desire to get rid of suffering. Suffer. You surrender to the suffering as it arises. Every moment, surrender, surrender, surrender. That is also the best, the most wonderful thing you can do for him because that part, that part of him that's no longer here will still know that. You may not realize it, but as you become transformed through this, it will reach him too because he's already disappearing from this dimension but it will reach him where he, where he is, which is not in this dimension anymore. It will reach him. And so that is my advice to you. And I hope it makes sense. And uh, I wish you well and your husband. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Eckhart. I'm wondering, is there something personal or individual about a human's spirit or their soul, like something that's not form, it's not conditioning, it's not unhealthy identity, but a part of someone's essence that's more individual, unique, you know, something that's different than the, the common source that we all share and emanate from? Because I sense that there's like, to each person, something truthful and innate it, that's not conditioning or not ego, but I, I question attributing it to universal source because it feels different in every person. So I wonder if there's like an intermediary level that's not source, but not form, but that's like essence at like a person's essence. And I, I recognize this might be the ego trying to hold on to identity somehow, like a little bit of it. And I'm I'm just not sure and I'm confused and I'm, I'm just hoping you can talk about it. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The surface 
of reality that most people live on resists where the physical body exists. The physical body is on the, so the sense perceived. This is part of the sense perceived world. Your thoughts and emotions already are not, they do not exist in the sense perceived realm, the sense perceived dimension, because nobody could find a thought in your brain. There is a correlation between brain activity and thinking, obviously, in the same way there's a correlation between the computer and something that you download from the cloud into your computer. So there is a, there is a correlation. But the, the physical being is very, very little. It's less than the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. You know, with an iceberg, you see it, 10% on the surface and 90% you don't see it's under the water. And, but with, a, with humans, the physical is even, it's less than 10%, so to speak. So uh, most of you exists in the realm of, one could say, invisibility. Most of you is invisible. That begins with your thoughts. Thoughts are not visible. No scientist has ever found a thought. <laughs> and your, I mentioned before in previous sessions, probably, there are countless things in your accumulated in your mind, countless memories, probably millions of things that are accumulated. You're not aware of any, any of these things most of these say at any given moment, because they exist. Where are they stored? All the memories of your grandparents, let's say, people who know who passed away. Where's your, your memory of the house you lived in when you were seven years old? You still remember, although suddenly, now that I mention it, suddenly you remember. I can think back and uh, I can think back when I was 10 years old, we moved into a new apartment and got some new furniture. And that I can still, I can still tactile memories of opening a cupboard of, of an armoire. There was a little key. I still have the tactile memory and how it opened, what it looks like sliding door, a glass door, there were some books behind it. Well, where are these stored for over half a century? And this is just countless, countless, countless things. Are they all stored in the, uh, well, they talk of neurons, which are electrical impulses. Are they stored in the atoms and molecules in your brain? How is that possible? Are there some atoms in your brain where your grandmother is remember if your grandmother is stored? No, I don't think so. All those things already exist in a different realm of non-local consciousness, but they can be accessed through the brain when they are needed in the same way that the computer can access things from the cloud when they're needed. So in other words, the most significant part of you is invisible, but that's still form. It's still form. So when I say your 
the, you, you have a form identity and then there is an essence identity. The form identity is not just the visible form. Part of your form identity is also all the accumulated thoughts in your mind and the emotions that go with the thoughts. The, the, all that is part of your form identity. And, and there's a person there that even if the physical body dissolves, there is a form identity that still continues underneath the surface, so to speak, underneath the surface in the realm of the invisible. The, a form identity continues, not forever, because nothing continues forever. Everything is subject to change and metamorphosis. But for a while, there are, there's an accumulation of thoughts and emotions that still is there as a person. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And this accumulation of thoughts and emotions can resurface as another person and then disappears again, withdraws. What it does while it disappears is another story. We can talk about another time where it goes and what it does. Now, to what extent that being that disappears, the, the form, if you are, if you awaken here in this lifetime, at least to some extent, to your essence identity, then that remains with you, that you are not completely unconscious as you, and just it's the, the process of reincarnation is then not a completely unconscious one because you're becoming aware of something that is deeper than the form. Imagine a, a, a sphere, like a globe, uh, you exist, we all exist as physical beings on the surface of this sphere, of this globe. Then that's the visible part of you. Underneath the visible, just below the surface, there is you as the karmic entity consisting of thoughts, accumulated thoughts and emotions, the person. The question is, to what extent in this lifetime, while you're still here as a physical body, to what extent have you been able to become aware of something that is deeper than, not only deeper than the body, but also deeper than thoughts and emotions? Now, you have to go back to the image of the sphere. <laughs> 
So you are on the surface, underneath the surface, there are thoughts and emotions that you still as form, but no longer the visible form. But then you can go deeper towards the, you're traveling towards the core of this sphere, this, the, center, the inner center of the sphere. Now, what I'm saying now, what I'm representing here now is visually, and what we're really talking about is other dimensions, deeper dimensions. So underneath the surface, there's a, other dimensions. You go very, very deep where the, the personal disappears and you, you become aware of the light of consciousness itself. This, your awareness then moves towards the center of the sphere. Then you, if your awareness goes there and remains in the in the center or close to the center of the sphere, then you have transcended identification with the form, both physical form or the other form, the karmic form that is non-physical. Whatever shines through the form emanates from the center, which is the core, which is the one God, whatever you want to call it. The form, however, is not diff separate or different from the light of consciousness. One could say it's frozen light. Let's use those words. <laughs> you are frozen light as form. As a physical form, you're really frozen. And as, as a non-physical, you're still frozen, but maybe a little bit less, but still it's frozen consciousness, so to speak. Now, if you look at water, a piece of ice looks something very different from water, but basically it is water. And you can have different pieces of ice with different appearances and, and say, oh, you can have a, actually beautiful things, snowflakes. Every snowflake, as you know, every snowflake is different. They're never two identical snowflakes, and they are all beautiful formations if you look at them under a microscope. So you can honor these beautiful manifestations. What are they manifestations of? They're manifestations of the one. The one, in this case, in this analogy, is water. <laughs> so the essence is still water, but you can still appreciate and honor the beautiful form that it can take. It doesn't last forever. The snowflake, of course, is fairly short-lived, except in Canadian winters where it stays for a long time. But the forms are short-lived. That's fine. And they are, again, they, are, they change according to the evolution of consciousness, to what extent they are aware of the deeper essence. So let's come back to human beings. If you then look at human beings as frozen consciousness, assuming lovely forms like beautiful snowflakes, but infinitely more complex, of course, than snowflakes. So you don't, you don't need to say this snowflake is really just water. Well, it is, but it's also a, a beautiful form. And you can acknowledge both. You can acknowledge the beauty of this form knowing and sensing at the same time the essence beyond it, which is beyond the form. Because the form, no matter how beautiful, 
is not going to last as this form. It, it is subject to impermanence. It's subject to metamorphosis, to change. Every human being, we can't even imagine what the destiny is. The evolution of every human being has an infinite destiny in this universe. And so you have an infinite destiny in this universe in the evolutionary process, at some point, the physical bodies will no longer be there, even and so on. We, we will move beyond the physical, of course. But your question then is really to honor both. Yes, there is something beyond the physical body, every human being that is particular to that form like snowflakes, all different. And you can, you can love that. You can love the snowflake, which is a human being. And you can, at the same time, love the, that which is the essence of the snowflake, which is, in that case, it's water, <laughs> simultaneously. So th th that, I believe, could be the answer to your question, is it? <laughs> I I, I think it is. So there is something. Yes. There is something. Okay. Oh. Yes. But it's not separate from consciousness. It is. This is why the Buddha said, uh, form is emptiness and emptiness is form. Emptiness meaning the unconditioned consciousness. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. They are ultimately one. But it's perfectly fine that they exist here as as form also. This is the ability to honor all life forms, not only the physical aspect of all life forms, but the deeper aspect of all life forms, because beyond the physical, form continues. Form is still there. Now, at some point in the evolutionary process, <laughs> there comes a realization, and the, the form then dissolves as form, becomes part of God. It always was part of God, but it's a process in which the universe, the entire universe, is becoming conscious. It's, we are part of that process. In this dimension where this universe exists, the universe is moving towards greater consciousness. It is an awakening universe. There's a transcendent dimension, where there's no time, so that there's no awakening. But there's a connection between this universe and the transcendent. This universe is an emanation of the transcendent. Now, I cannot go any further because language fails and nobody could understand because you can ask the question, why did the universe emanate from the the one why did the one create this world <laughs> there's a very deep answer to that but all i can say is it's it is an awakening process the universe is awakening and for some reason the one wants that anything else we can say is just we can't go there because we are moving to a, something that is totally impossible to comprehend through the human mind, especially conceptually. 
Non-conceptually, there can be very deep realizations, but you can't talk about them. After all, talking is sounds. Your vocal cords produce sounds. The other part of words is, I don't know what the expression is, there's vowels and there's, the vowels are the five, A, I, E, O, U. These are vocal, they're made with your vocal cords. The others are, are they called diphthongs? I don't know. Consonants, consonants. Yeah, okay. So they are produced through air pressure. So a combination of, of, of sounds produced by your vocal cords and sounds produced by air pressure, how can that explain the nature of the universe? <laughs> it's impossible. How can you, you, you produce a few sounds interspersed with a little bit of air pressure here and there, and you think you can explain the universe with that? No. So we have to recognize the limitations, <laughs> the limitations of language, the limitations of conceptual thinking, which is basically words in their mind, still language, conceptual thinking is very, very limited. It's a miracle that I can even talk about these things using language, it's, it's just a miracle. <laughs> so we have to recognize the limitations of that. But other than conceptual thinking, there is a deeper consciousness that is non-conceptual, and that's where true intelligence originates. And on that level, beyond conceptualization, there is a lot that you can realize, but not understand, because understand means con through concepts. There can be very deep realizations about the essence of the universe, because you've gone deeply into yourself, and you've discovered the essence of yourself, which is no different from the essence of the universe. So you dis discover self-discovery, which you cannot put into words, which you can't talk about. So there's a deep knowing that is possible, but it is always, it is non-conceptual and it cannot translate into concepts. As concepts go, we're very, very limited. So, so that's how it is. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank Thanks. You. Thank you. Hi, Eckhart. It's such a pleasure to meet you. I've been following you for, well, since about 2006. Mm. And uh, I'll ask my question in a minute, but it, it's rang a bell on me on suffering because, of course, that's what brought me to you. Mm. And, of course, it was a lifetime of suffering, you know, from abusive childhood. But what really pushed me over the edge was a granddaughter with Rett syndrome. I don't know whether you've ever heard of Rett, R-E-T-T, but it happens mainly in girls and it's really just a spontaneous genetic, but they're about a year and a half old. They just start losing everything. And uh, I mean, everything. <laughs> and I went in, of course, to pure hell where my mind you know, went 24 seven, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, you know, thinking I couldn't get out of that. And uh, so you were the one that held my hand and finally walked me through it to the point where now, you know, she's out of it most of the time. She only weighs about 70 pounds and she's 27 years old and I help out with her a lot. And a lot of times she's really spacey and seizures, but when she's not, 
Sometimes she has excellent eye contact and a beautiful smile and a laugh. And I mean, it's just like my consciousness meets with her is where I really find, you know, tremendous joy, you know, from the biggest pain that, you know, of course, I wish that wasn't like this, but as far as where she is now, and, uh, you know, I never thought people could be happy with a handicapped granddaughter, but there's no bigger thrill than sitting with her and uh, just being present, gazing at each other's eyes. And like I said, I, I still, I carry your book around. I have, I have to carry it to bed at night. I don't read it. I just set it there <laughs> because I know, you know, when I run into a problem, I've read so much about you that I'm, he can hear your answers. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, when I have this just moment, I would just like to spend a moment of silence or not even a full minute, really, just a... 15 to 20 seconds of just being present with you is what would be my joy. Oh, thank you. That's a wonderful non-question. <laughs> and it's quite appropriate as we're approaching the end of this session, so it's a, it comes at the right time. And again, as want to remind everybody that uh, when you join with somebody in the act of looking, sometimes called gazing, as much as possible, be free of thinking. If thoughts come, dismiss them, they're not important. And don't get the sense that, let's say, when you're looking at me or you do it with a partner or friend, you're not looking at another person because the other person only arises when there's some conceptualization. If there's no thought, the sense of a separate other isn't really there either because it's thought that separates. Conceptualization separates everything in this world. The moment you let go of that, where, where do I end and where does the other begin? There's no longer a sense of separateness. I'm reminded of the book of Genesis at the beginning of the Bible. There was a tree and these first humans, as they are called, this tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the first humans ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is regarded as something bad because in this mythology, God had said, don't do that. Because if you do that, you, you will get very unhappy and you will die. And of course, that's what happened. The age of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The way I interpret that is, it points to the beginning of thinking in humans. The beginning of, of differentiating between this and this 
And instead of seeing life in its totality, like an animal still does, you see life in its totality is, this is good, this is bad, differentiate. Intelligence is defined as the ability to differentiate. So it was, it speaks of a beginning of, of a new evolutionary stage for humans, the beginning of thinking. And then strangely, it says in there, don't go there, says God, because then it's a very strange mythological story. Don't go, don't do that because you will become like one of us. What that means, nobody knows. You will become like one of us if you go there and you'll become unhappy and you will die. And that was paradise, the end of paradise, beginning of thinking, the beginning of persons arising. <laughs> and an amazing evolutionary journey started. And then another strange thing God said about the Garden of Eden. Eden, I believe, etymologically, the word goes back to the root is joy. The Garden of Eden has another tree that's called the tree of life. And God said, you have to go out. You can't come back in because then you will eat of the tree of life. <laughs> and, and you can't do that. So through eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it became impossible for humans to eat of the tree of life. The tree of life became something inaccessible to them. The tree of life is, the way I interpret it, is the, the tree of life is the next stage in human evolution after the transcendence of thinking, which was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's mentioned again at the very end of the Bible in the apocalypse, that humans are then able to, after the terrible destruction, humans are able to have access to the tree of life. So wonderful, wonderful images, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was the evolutionary, this new evolutionary state. We are coming to the end of this huge evolutionary development of where thinking is paramount, where we become completely identified and completely possessed by thinking. The next stage is transcending thinking, which doesn't mean we can never think again. Transcending means it still operates, but you're no longer trapped in it. Something else has arisen, the tree of life, the awakening, beyond thinking. So I'm just, this just came to me because the important thing when you look at another to be in that state of not thinking and in the state of not thinking, there is no other anymore. You're just, just, just consciousness joining. And that's really is consequences of the eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, thinking, it was a necessary stage to go through. And then the next one is transcendence. Then we have access to the tree of life, which is awakening, the access to source, who you are, 
the essence. Tree of life is an image for source, the essence of all life. So when you look, as we're doing now, you're looking at me in this case, but if you're not thinking, just be, just be present and aware, then there is not you and me. You're not looking at another person. There's just the looking and there's just the consciousness behind the looking. And in that we are one. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.